Today, we're wrapping up our series on the fruit of the Spirit. Let's say our theme verse one more time together. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Today, our focus is the Spirit. The whole book of Galatians is about the difference between human effort and surrender to the work of the Spirit. Human effort, including religion, cannot make us right with God. And that's what he means by the works of the flesh. But when the Spirit does the work, fruit is born out in us. And so we want to spend time talking about how the Spirit does that in us, the role of the Spirit in our life. In this passage, we're going to see four descriptives of the Christian's relationship with the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to end up in Ephesians where Paul gives what is actually an illustration or an analogy for the Holy Spirit in our life when he says, do not be drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the Spirit. And that's probably one of the more controversial or more, more hotly debated ideas in the church. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? We're going to look at what that word actually means and talk about how can I be filled with the Spirit so that I bear the fruit of the Spirit in my life. What I'd like to do is take you to John chapter 14 to begin with today, where Jesus first introduces His promise to send the Holy Spirit. Begin reading at verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. We move forward to John chapter 16. Same evening, same dialogue. So now he's returning to this promise of the Holy Spirit. Actually, let's back up and read verse 26 of chapter 15 and then forward. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, 
where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So now this is really a significant promise of Jesus. And what we come to understand as we see the whole story of Scripture is that God's involvement in the human race and in the planet Earth in the Old Testament is primarily through God the Father. We do have the presence of the Holy Spirit engaged even in creation. The pre-incarnate Christ who is referred to as the angel of the Lord is present in the Old Testament, but basically on center stage is God the Father. And then for 33 and a half or so years, it's Jesus Christ, God the Son, the incarnate Son, who steps down and literally walks among us touching us and letting us touch him so that as a man he could take our death on the cross. And having accomplished that, now the Son having left, the Holy Spirit is the primary person of the Godhead on earth today. Jesus promised it. Another place where he promised it was in Acts 1, his departing words to his disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. And then on the day of Pentecost, that was fulfilled. And we see the coming of the Holy Spirit through the book of Acts fulfilled with four distinct people groups. So let me bullet a few things here. The first, he's the third person of the Holy Trinity, God's active presence in the world today. He brings conviction of sin and baptizes all believing persons into the family of God. And he is present in every Christian to guide, teach, equip, and empower. Now, let me, let me just draw a few things from this. The Holy Spirit is a person. You understand that, right? That means he's not a commodity. So when we talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about the equivalent to your spiritual gas tank. You know, I'm running low on the Holy Spirit. I've got to go to church. I've got to get filled up. The Holy Spirit is not a fuel source or a power source. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. So as Christians, this is an important thing for you to understand. You already have all of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to have. The Holy Spirit is present and active in the life of every believer. Look with me in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, and say this verse with me. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. So what are the implications of that, that verse? Every believer follower of Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit. Now, the church has various views on this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit as to what that's about. Is it a secondary experience? 
Um, my personal belief is that when the Bible refers to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's the birthing into the body of Christ that the Spirit does. That event that Jesus speaks about in John chapter 3, when he talks about not just being born of water, but being born of the Spirit, there's a clear analogy there to the mikvah, the baptism, but he's also speaking in terms of physical birth, being born of water, right? The water breaks as the first thing, and you're born physically into this world, but also being born of the Spirit. So whatever your particular view on that, the one thing that ought to be common to all of us is that every person that puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's the Holy Spirit's present. He is the giver of eternal life to us. And so if you're a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit, and you have all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to have. So if that's the case, what in the world does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What I want to do now is take you back to our, our primary text this whole series, and that's Galatians chapter 5. And what we're going to see are four statements that have to do with the believer's relationship with the Holy Spirit. A person's personal experience of the Holy Spirit begins at the new birth, right? Spiritual birth. So if you look at that fruit of the Spirit and you say, yes, that is a person that I would desperately want to be. I'm anything but that. So how do I begin this so that the Holy Spirit produces these fruits? Well, the first thing is to come to Jesus, to make a profession of faith to Jesus Christ and be born spiritually. So there's a, a presence of the Holy Spirit that salvation brings us. But now we're going to look at Paul's description of a believer's relationship with the Holy Spirit, there are four things as we come to them, I'm going to ask you to circle if you're the kind that take note. Beginning of verse 13, Galatians 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, first thing to circle, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Again, flesh meaning physical effort, not our body. The Bible nowhere says that our body is evil and our spirit is good. That, that dualism is not anywhere taught in Scripture. God created the human race and He said it's very good. And so when He's talking about flesh there, He's talking about related to circumcision and religious effort. Let's pick up. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are, next phrase to circle, led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, third phrase, the fruit of the Spirit, circle that, is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us, final phrase, keep in step with the Spirit. That's the fourth clause. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So within this passage, we see a a rather detailed description of what, as Christians, our relationship to the Holy Spirit is. Let's take these one at a time. The first is walk by the Spirit. The Greek word there means to conduct my life in accordance with. Let's admit many of us don't have that level of conscious awareness of the working and presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's very similar to what I do in terms of walking by my wife. I'm in relationship with my wife, Vitalina. My whole life is shaped by that. So I, I live in accordance with that relationship. So that's the first idea of walking by the Spirit. The second phrase, led by the Spirit. The Greek word there means guided. I'm not leading and asking the Holy Spirit's blessing. I am learning to let the Holy Spirit take the lead and respond to His direction in my life. The third is the fruit of the Spirit. And of course, I think we've, we've covered that pretty well. That's the result, what the Spirit brings about in us. And then finally, there's this interesting phrase, keep in step with the Spirit, the Greek word stoikos, and it means to either walk in the footsteps of or walk in cadence with. I like the more picturesque idea of walking in the steps of. I picture Tommy when he was younger uh, in the snow. The snow was pretty deep for him. You know, I would take steps, and then sure enough, if you look at Tommy, he's going, he's fitting in the steps. That's the idea of this, we're following in the steps of the Holy Spirit, walking in a way that's consistent with the Holy Spirit's direction in our life. Those are ways that we interact with the Holy Spirit. But in order to really bring this idea home, the Apostle Paul introduces an illustration of our relationship with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5. And so let's say this together. Do not get drunk with wine, which will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Very often, we think of it in the way I described it earlier. I don't have enough of the Holy Spirit. I need more of the Holy Spirit. I need to be filled with the Spirit. But in its context, Paul is contrasting the Spirit's presence in our life with the presence of alcohol as opposed to the way one is fully under the influence of alcohol, we need to become completely under the influence of the Spirit. He's talking not about us getting more of the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit getting into more of you. The word is pieru, and it literally means to be being kept filled with the Spirit. It's this perpetual act of continually being filled with the Spirit as I serve and follow and depend on God. That Greek word is not about volume or quantity. 
There are three ways this Greek word is used. The first has to do with pressure. It's used to describe a billowing wind filling sails in order to guide and propel them in the right direction. So the first idea of filling is that, like the Holy Spirit filling our sails and directing us. So it's about providing pressure and carrying us along in the right direction. The second way that the Greek word is used is the word permeate, pervasive throughout the whole. And that's more clearly in this verse we were looking at, Paul's intention. In the same way alcohol permeates us and takes control, the Spirit has to be allowed access to every part of our life, not just sections. The third way the word is used is to dominate, to come under the control of. It's used in the Bible for statements like they were filled with rage, same Greek word. They came under the control of it. So when Paul says be filled with the Spirit, this is what he's talking about. We need to surrender to the movement of the Holy Spirit and be guided in the direction He takes us. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to have complete access into our lives. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to take control, surrendering completely to it. We're opening ourselves up completely to His access into every area of our life. So if you turn the page on your notes to the back, you'll, you'll see this question of how. If that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, how do I go about being filled? Two really important statements to make sure we all understand what we're talking about. This is not about getting more of the Spirit. It's not about getting, it's about giving up. It's not about laying hold of, but about letting go. If you look at all of these statements that we've looked at that the Apostle Paul gives us in relation to the believer and the Holy Spirit, if you look at all of them, they boil down to relinquishing authority and control. Think about it. Let, let, me, let me just list them again quickly. Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Let the Spirit produce the fruit in your life. Keep in step with the Spirit, right? Be permeated. Come under the authority of the Spirit. If you look at every aspect of our relationship with the Holy Spirit, it's not about our effort. It's not a question of how much of the Holy Spirit you have. It's a question of how much of you the Holy Spirit has. It's not about laying hold of. It's about letting go of things in your life. It's not something you can achieve and you know why that, that is? Because that's the flesh. <laughs> the whole point of the book of Galatians is it's not something we do. It's not about what I do. It's about what I stop doing. And so with that in mind, I want to take these three ideas of, of the Greek word fulfilled, pressure, permeate, and dominate. And I want to offer three things that I think are part of this relinquishing ourselves What's that old hymn? Emptied that thou shouldest fill me, a clean vessel in thy sight. See, that's what it is. And that's why that song was so precious today. Empty me and then fill me. 
And so I want to suggest three things that you and I think about in this process of letting go so that we can become filled with the Holy Spirit. The first is the word yield. Yield to the guiding pressure of the Holy Spirit in your life. These are going to seem quite simple, but I'm going to tell you, in my opinion, these three things that I'm going to suggest are some of the hardest things for human beings to do. Because we want control. It's such a subtle thing as Christians to talk about surrendering everything to Jesus, but to actually be operating under our own idea of how things are going to, to get Jesus onto our agenda. <laughs> to want the Holy Spirit to step in when we need His miraculous, but then wanting the Holy Spirit to butt out when we want to do some other stuff, if you know what I mean. It's such a, a subtle thing. There's this interesting story of Dwight L. Moody. Maybe you know it. Often he's quoted as having said this, but actually it was a, a mentor said something like this to him, the world has yet to see what God can do through a man who is entirely yielded to him. And that's so Mark Moody that in his journal he accounts this moment and then at the bottom of that journal entry he says, by God's grace, I will be that man. Now, I don't know why that guy said that to Moody because I think the Bible's full of stories of what God can do through men and women who are completely yielded to him. Maybe he was really talking about the world in that day. I think that challenge is for us today too. We have a form of spiritual success. We have a form of godliness. We have um, a form of difference with the world around us. And many of us are satisfied with that. But you will never be everything God wants you to be, and we will never accomplish all that God has called us to without complete yielding. Didn't Jesus say that when he said, if you really want to come after me, you're going to take denying yourself, taking up your cross, and what's the word he says? Taking up your cross daily and following me. Keep on being filled. Requires yielding. And then the second phrase that comes to my mind is opening up. If the Spirit needs to permeate all of your life, then this is part of your spiritual journey to progressively become aware of strongholds in your life that you are in control of. So what circumstances are you holding on to control of? What people are you holding on to control of? What habits what attitudes, what plans for the future are you the one in charge of? Those are the very things that you need to open up to the presence of the Holy Spirit so that he permeates, he fills your entire life. Uh, right now, even as I'm saying that, I can think of one or two things that God's convicted me about that I know that I've been large and in charge in, in my life and, and in our plans and in my, and in my marriage. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but... Even in preaching this, God is convicting me of this need to continue to open up. That's why the Greek language there is that this is a perpetual, ongoing process. Keep being filled by the Holy Spirit. Open up. Third, if it's about pressure, we yield. If it's about 
permeating, we open up. If it's about dominating, we surrender. We surrender completely to his control over our life. So here it is. We've looked at these incredible qualities of the life of the person in whom God does his work, and we have said, we want to be that. So how do I do that? You don't. You stop, and you do the hardest thing for the human nature. You surrender. You give up completely. As Christians, most of us have a practiced way of being partially surrendered to God. In the areas that it's most comfortable, or better yet, it's most successful, I'm surrendered to God. But you will never be filled with the Spirit. You will never be fully conformed and transformed in this way until you open up completely. We're going to turn to the Lord's table. Such a beautiful illustration of what it means to completely surrender, right? Isn't that what our Lord did when he endured the cross? In the garden, he struggled so much with not necessarily the pain and excruciating nature of the death itself, but taking on our sin, being separated from the Father, that he said, Lord, is there any way we can come up with another plan? (laughs) Is Is there any way? And then ultimately he surrenders completely to the will of the Father. Not my will, but yours be done. As we celebrate the death of our Lord, taking the bread, which represents his body, which was wounded and torn for us, and the the cup, which represents his blood, which was shed for us. I want to encourage us to think about the last full measure of devotion and surrender that Christ demonstrated in submitting completely to the Father, and because of that, he was able to redeem us. If you're a believer in Jesus, we welcome you to celebrate the Lord's table. But as you come, consider the words, I yield, I open up, I surrender. In fact, let's practice that together. I yield, I open up, I surrender. Good. And so, Father, as we remember through this great gift this communion that our Lord gave us to remember his completely emptying and yielding and coming under the authority of of his Father and because of that purchasing our redemption. Father, may we heed the words of Paul in Romans 12 when he says, I urge you in view of God's mercies to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice and for you completely surrendered. In Jesus' name, amen.